Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Have you heard that the Canadian Parliament passed a bill recently, went into effect on January 8th, which caused the Bible a myth? The bill 6-4, and it outlaws conversion therapy, which seeks to change a person's sexual identity to heterosexual or change their gender identity. But in the process of this bill, they're negating the Word of God. Therefore, they're negating that God created us in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God had a plan when he made each one of us the sex that he made. So this bill basically says that God is wrong. He made a mistake when he made certain people. But to call the Bible a myth has set a new precedent. Recently, a flyer was distributed at Jane Addams Elementary School in Moline, Illinois, advertising an after-school Satan club. I thought, are you kidding me? Until I realized this has been going on since 2016, when the Satan Temple announced that they were going to have these clubs from New York to Arizona. How can Christian support such a thing in their schools? Now, the schools are not having them. These are after-school clubs. But still, this is an anathema to what we've grown up with in our culture, to what our country was founded on. Did you know that transgenders have been invited into schools as well as libraries to read transgender books to our children? I'm just dumbfounded at that. But that's not all. You probably heard that in October of 2021, the National School Boards Association called parents domestic terrorists. In other words, they were saying that parents don't have a right to speak out about how and what our children are being taught in the schools. These are just a few examples of how the world is spinning out of control. It's going crazy. The world is living by a totally different standard than our country was founded on and that we grew up with. It's turning away from God to follow its own desires. Will God continue to allow that deviant sin? The answer is no. Just look at Noah and the ark way back 5,000 years ago. God will not continue to allow sin on this earth without judging it. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we're going to begin Revelation 18 to see the consequences of those who turn away from God. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. The list of examples Debbie just gave of our culture's shocking slide makes us shake our heads in disbelief. How could these terrible things be happening? The truth is, the small changes we learned to tolerate in the past have led to the disastrous consequences we're seeing now. Revelation 18 opens with Babylon the Great facing a great and terrible judgment. It has become the dwelling place of every unclean spirit. And a voice from heaven warns, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. What terrible consequences is our participation, or even just our tolerance of these things, leading to? Oh, Jackie, the thousands and thousands of examples that we could use that show how much we've turned away from God 
are just drawing us to the end times, to the time when Jesus is going to return, because we're not looking much different than what we've read about in the book of Revelation. We're certainly not looking any different than God said we would in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, when he described what the world would look like in the end times before Jesus returned. We are moving closer and closer to the epitome of evil, the epitome of anti-God. Does that mean God has left us? Absolutely not. He is active. He is involved in our lives, but we have turned away from him. And that means we as a culture. You see, the real problem isn't God turning away from us. It's us turning away from him. It's us living our lives for ourselves with ourselves on the throne of our lives. We don't want any consequences. We want to do what we want to do. And when we have an attitude like that, which we have had, at least in this country for the last 60 years, then of course we're going to have deviant behavior. We can simply look at the book of Judges, which shows an example of that. Over the 300 years of when the judges were listed in scripture, the people continued to turn away from God. At times they would turn back to God when things got so bad But then once they did and God took care of them and fixed their problems, then they'd spiral out of control again and much further downhill. Well, I have one more current example for you, and this really shocked me to the core. You know how children have been the targets, and we have seen these drag queen story hours in public libraries and now public schools. Here's one in a church. A month ago, a Lutheran pastor in Chicago dressed in drag to do the children's sermon, saying, I have an awesome story to share with you today. He asked the children if they had ever seen a drag queen before, and they had not. He offered surprise at that fact and said, Well, I am also a boy most of the time when I'm here, he told them. But today, he said, flipping his blonde wig back and forth, I'm a girl. Dressed in a long blonde wig, makeup, long white dress, and white veil, he looked like a bride. And on his Facebook page, seminarian Aaron Mooser, this is who did this, stated that his dressing in drag serves as a dress rehearsal for the ultimate joy that is believed to come with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, how perverted and twisted can this be? It made me think of Matthew 18, 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. With activities like that, that pastor, if he can call himself that, It's going against the word of God. The word of God is clear. It doesn't change. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just as he is. His philosophy doesn't change. His attitude doesn't change. His word doesn't change. And yet we change and we pretend that it's okay. It is not okay in God's eyes. God will deal with mankind. You know, he said at the time of Noah in Genesis 6, 6, that every intent of man's heart was only evil continually. But then he said a couple chapters over in chapter 8, reiterating the same thing, that the attitude of man's heart is always evil. So God knows that we are born into sin and that our heart will turn away from him if we do not seek him continually, have a relationship with him and get in his word. The world isn't doing that right now. And because it's not the consequences of God, the judgment of God is going to come upon this world. Now, what we're going to read in Revelation 18 
is later. It happens at the end of the tribulation period. But the point is, we have to know that it's coming. We also have to realize that if we call ourselves Christians, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, he will not allow us to keep in our sin. He will do whatever is necessary to convict us, to bring us out of our sins, to discipline us so that we can know that what we're doing is wrong and change and turn to him. But if we're not true Christians, we don't even hear him in the first place. So we're going to continue to go the way of the world and continue to turn away from God. Well, the example that I just gave you made me think of Revelation 17 and the mother of harlots. That's what I thought. I thought this is not a true church, but this goes along with what the mother of harlots would produce a daughter that would do pagan things and take the scripture and turn it inside out and teach it to children. And that's what we're seeing today is an apostate religion or apostate church. Not as bad as it's going to be, as you mentioned in Revelation 17, but we're still seeing it. In Revelation 17, that apostate church is called a harlot. In the true church, we're known as the bride of Christ in Revelation 19.7. The apostate church was developed in the wilderness, Babylon is what it's called because the Babylon was in the wilderness at the time, whereas our true church, our focus is on heaven in Revelation 19.1. The apostate church is adorned by Satan, empowered by Satan, led by Satan, even though they might not acknowledge that, whereas the true church is adorned by Jesus Christ. The apostate church is going to be judged forever, and we reign forever with Jesus. That false religious system is stained by the blood of martyrs. That's mentioned throughout Revelation. Whereas we as the true church are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference. The other big difference is that the true church follows Jesus Christ and the word of God. The false religion doesn't. It either ignores the word of God, it doesn't preach the word of God, or it thwarts the word of God. It reinterprets what God has to say. And because man has done that, there is going to be judgment. And we see that in Revelation 18. What we see the first three verses here is the voice of judgment. That judgment again is on Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. But it also is going to happen to you and I on a daily basis as we turn away from God. So let's read Revelation 18, starting with verse 1. It says, After these things, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. We have to dissect that a little bit because it starts out by saying, After these things. Well, we know Revelation 17 talked about Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots, the religious system in existence at that time, which was completely anti God. We might remember from last week that that religious system was destroyed. Once the Antichrist and the 10 kings gained power, they didn't need the religious system anymore, so they destroyed it. However, we learn at the very end of Revelation 17, verse 18, it tells us that the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So that mystery Babylon is both a religion and a governmental entity, a city. How is that possible? Well, New York is a city, but it's known for wealth because of Wall Street. You have Rome or Mecca. 
Both are cities, but they also are the home of major religions. You have D.C., which is known for the power, the seat of our government, but it's a city. So you can see how a city could be associated with a religious system also. And that's what we're seeing here. You have a worldwide economic system, and this Babylon represents the worldwide economic system. We think of um, the World Economic Forum and World Trade Organization and all the kinds of things that we have right now. And think of how when that becomes a total worldwide system, that's the Babylon of the commercial system. But it is going to fall, as we learn in Revelation 18. Getting back to verse 1, after these things where the religious system fell, the angel came down. Interesting, having great authority. I thought all angels had authority. Actually, each angel has a different calling from God, a different purpose. The only angels that we see in Scripture that have great authority are Gabriel and Michael. This could be one of them or it could be someone different. But the point is, God is telling us that this angel has the authority to condemn this Babylon because it says the earth was illumined with his glory. Now, this is not Jesus. The earth was illumined with the glory of the angel, not God's glory, because Isaiah 42, 8 says that God does not give his glory to anyone. So this is the angel's glory that's illumining the earth. Verse two, it says he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every unclean spirit and a prison for every unclean and hateful bird. So this tells us that the angel is the one crying out. We talked before how an angel makes pronouncements. And so the angel is pronouncing or announcing with a powerful, mighty voice with one in great authority saying that Babylon the great has fallen. And he doesn't just say fallen. He says, fallen, fallen. Now we saw that in Revelation 14, 8, when we saw an overview of what was going to happen in the last three and a half years. And again, the term was used fallen, fallen. Now, when God says something once, you listen to it. When he says something twice, you better pay close attention to that. So it's definitely declared that this is done. Babylon is done away with this horrible picture of it becoming a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and of all the hateful birds. And we think of sometimes, you know, like the birds that are symbolic in Jesus's parables of snatching away the word of God, snatching away the seed from the side of the road and that kind of thing. And just thinking that all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. This is just so all-encompassing. So it's like the religious and the economic system, both sides of Babylon have just truly captured all nations and all peoples. Well, when we're talking about fallen, fallen, we're talking about double payment for sin. And you can see it here. You can see why, as just what you've mentioned. When it talks about a prison for every unclean spirit, Remember that the unholy trinity is revealed here right at the end. So it's not surprising that there's going to be every unclean spirit. If we go back to Revelation 16 verses 13 and 14, it says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And again, that's the unholy trinity there. 
the dragon representing God, the beast, Jesus Christ, the false prophet, the Holy Spirit. Coming out of them, it says three unclean spirits, for they are spirits of demon performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. We're told right there that every unclean spirit is going to be involved in this activity, and that's what we're seeing in Babylon the Great. And that's why we have a prison of unclean spirits and a prison of unclean and hateful birds. You mentioned the parable in Matthew 13 about the sower and the seed. The one who came down and destroyed the good seed was the bird, which is an idea of Satan or demonic activity. And then as you read from verse three, for all the nations, not just a few, but all the nations, that tells you the deception that's going on in these last days. And you think, well, that can't happen. Not all the nations. Look at what's happening now. All of our nations are being drawn into the great reset, this new direction that the world is going. And all the nations are involved, including the United Nations, who's supporting it, who represent all the nations. They've drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Remember, that's pornea. That deals with the illicit, lustful sin of the world. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality. Again, that's pornea. So you have the nations and their leaders. And we tend to follow our leaders. So that would make sense. And then it says, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Right there, you have power. And that's the power of the nations. And you have lust. That's the immorality of the kings. And you have greed. That's all the merchants becoming wealth. And in my opinion, those are the three foundational sins of every other sin that we have. Where I get that from is 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Because that passage says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, there you have the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes, that's greed. And the boastful pride of life, that's pride and power. They're not of God, but they're of the world, the passage says. And that's what we see here. All these were caught up in the power of the evil one because they turned away from the one true God and went about following their own ways. And yet even now, that God is calling whoever would come out to come out of this system of things. Verse four says, I heard another voice from heaven. So we have another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. At every point when I see God continuing to reach his arms out, to a group of people who have been totally captured by Babylon the Great and every aspect of Babylon the Great, the lust, the greed, all of those things that you said, and yet God looks down and says, come out of her, my people. Now, when he says my people, Debbie, who's he talking to? He's talking to his people, his believers. Remember, people will be saved during the tribulation period. The church will be gone at the rapture before the tribulation begins, but new people will be saved. And they're going to be living in this world. It's going to be very difficult because if they don't take the mark of the beast, they're going to have a hard time living. But they are living. Those are the only people that God calls my people are the ones who are true believers in Jesus Christ. And what a horrible situation we have here. 
because we have the voice of judgment in the first three verses saying that judgment is going to come about. And then we have the voice of separation, the wonderful mercy of God calling his church to be alert to all that's going on and not to participate in it. It seems like he's calling us out now, too. So how do we apply that to ourselves now today? Well, God calls us the church the church of Jesus Christ, ecclesia, the called out ones. We are the ones who are supposed to be living for Jesus Christ. We are to be the example of Jesus here on earth. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Well, in order to do that, we have to focus on Jesus, not on this world. We see that in Colossians 2, 6 through 12, when Paul gives us some really good direction on how we can live and how we can separate ourselves from the world. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Well, the first thing there is we must receive Jesus. We don't just believe in him because we grew up in a Christian church and heard about him. We believe in him or receive him as our Lord and Savior by committing our lives to him, totally calling him Lord and giving him control of our lives, not us. And then once we do that, we're to walk in him. That's a command. That means to walk in everything Jesus told us to do. In Colossians 2, 7, it goes on by saying, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, that's in Jesus Christ, and established in your faith. Now, when you're establishing something, you're building it, you're growing it, you're, it's getting better or bigger. That's what we're supposed to do with our faith. If we look back on our lives, even just over the last year, are we moving forward with Jesus? Are we moving upwards toward Jesus? Or are we standing still or even going away from Jesus? We need to be established so we're always moving forward in our relationship with him. It goes on in Colossians to say, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. My goodness, I look at that and think, what are we missing in this world today? We're missing a lot. But one thing is gratitude. People are so ungrateful. They're so mean. They're so ugly to other people in what they say and how they treat them. How many people do you see smiling and being grateful and saying thank you for what they have and appreciating what God is giving them? Remember, in Philippians 4, Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. That's gratitude. Going on in Colossians 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. That's very important. That's a command to make sure no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. So we have to be careful. We have to say no to all those things, and we have to make sure they don't creep into our lives. But rather, it says, we're supposed to live according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Think about that. God is in Jesus and we are in Jesus through the Holy Spirit when we receive him. So God's with us all the time. If we see that, if we mentally understand that, will we want to sin against him? Will we want to hurt him when he's right there with us, living with us? It goes on to say, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head and rule over all authority. So you and I have been raised up in Jesus Christ. We should have our eyes on our heavenly home, not on this earthly dwelling place. If we will do that, then our hearts will be turned to Jesus, and we will be able to withstand the temptations and the deception and the manipulation of this world 
as we keep our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can look at Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 12, where he tells us to come out of the world, separate from the world. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. That means be careful. Don't be deceived by all the fake news you're hearing, not just on the news, but in the schools, in the churches, everywhere. Don't be deceived by anything that's against the word of God. He goes on to say, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So the wrath of God is not going to wait until Revelation 18. It's happening now. Now, by that, I mean not the wrath of God from Revelation 18, but God's wrath on general sin. Verse 7 of Ephesians 5 says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you're in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he says again, finally in verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. Those are God's warnings to us today, which are very similar to what we're seeing here in Revelation 18, 4. He says, come out from her mystery Babylon, the city. In other words, disassemble yourself from the things of the world. Be still and know that I am God during this time and follow me. He says that you may not participate in her sins. In other words, you won't be lulled into them. You won't accidentally fall into them because the world is saying they're okay when they're not. And then he says that you may not receive her plagues. That's her destruction. Those people that don't leave are going to be destroyed if they don't leave. So they're given that chance. But the scripture turns pretty quickly back to the destruction. So immediately after verse 5 and verse 6, it says, Pay her back, even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Now I think, okay, this is the angel calling out to God to give this punishment for her and to pay her back double for anything that she's done. Certainly God has the ability to do so. Remember, he tells us in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And here the angel saying, pay her back double. Well, let's consider some things in scripture. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities turned away from God with the sin of homosexuality. They did not turn back to him when given the time. And they were completely destroyed, by the way, in one day. We look at that one day and we think, how is that possible? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed in one day. In one day, you had a Chicago fire in 1871 that destroyed a third of the city. So a lot of damage can happen in one day. But these people are deserving of judgment because of their sin. We look at Egypt and the Exodus and the plagues and how God rained havoc on that nation because they turned away from God and wouldn't believe in him. We see the same thing here. All of these things will 
to happen to these people and then some, because it's going to be the worst destruction the world has ever seen. God's justice is going to be done. He is going to protect his people and he's going to rain judgment on those who have consistently turned away from him, but not just turned away from him. In this case, have turned to Satan. There are consequences to our sin and God will hold everyone accountable, but he also leaves a remnant. Will you be one of those remnant and wholeheartedly obey everything he leads you to do? I encourage you today to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that he has will be added unto you, including eternal life. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.